that music, <laughs> and you know it's Thursday. You know what time it is. It's 1046, but you know what? It might be the 11th hour for the market. We'll talk about that. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by the aforementioned Dan Nathan for this week's At 1046, brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Yes Plural, Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. And of course, FactSet, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. Put 14 minutes on the clock, Dan, and let's get this sucker going, brother. Yeah, let's get these people to the top of the hour here. Um, we're probably going to go overtime. Just kind of, kind of. Well, no, set no, your, no, no, you're not allowed to do that. But all right, but listen, Guy Adami, I think last week the theme of at 10:46 was that something's got to give. That there were some kind of warning signs, screaming in silence, if you will. Does that make mm-hmm. a little sense to you? Screaming um, what, in silence. I like that. Go, I don't know what it means, go. but I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. But the first call, I think, look, the first call is it's actually a prescient call. And I'm not really sure how to spell prescient. I think there's a C in there mixed in. But BlackRock earlier this week downgrading U.S. stocks. You can read the slide, Dan. Reopening trade is peaking, something you've said for a while. Downgrade U.S. stock market to neutral. You can read again. But I got to tell you something. Their time is impeccable in this. And in terms of people or groups, when they talk, you got to listen. Well, BlackRock is one of those groups, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, here's the thing that you and I found very curious when you looked at the divergence between, and we're going to look at both charts in a second here, the S&P 500 large cap stocks and then um, Russell 2000 small cap stocks over the last, let's say, month or so. It's been just staggering. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at um, the Russell 2000, it has not confirmed any of the new highs in the S&P 500 in the NASDAQ over the last couple of months. It's last all-time high was back in February, and that's when the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield peaked out. So I guess, you know, the narrow breadth in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ have been saying one thing, but the rolling over or the sideways action in the Russell 2000 small caps and then the direction of yields lower are saying an entirely other thing about second half growth. By the way, I love how Stuart just played the music, like he just let the music trail, (laughs) and it's so it's so tight. It's so good. That's, wow. by the way, the genius is at Open Exchange. And as they say, slide it, Earl, because I think our first chart goes, <laughs> I mean, you know it has to be. It has to be the S&P 500, which continues to hold this uptrend line like a boss, as the kids say. I know it's the hungry alligator. At some point, the alligator's got to eat. Are we at that point now, Dan Nathan? Well, listen, I mean, you know, you you and I have been talking about it for a couple of weeks. So pull back to that uptrend and draw the uptrend any way you like, people. It doesn't matter. You know, the S&P 500 is going to head back to 4,100 at least at some point in the not so distant future. So whatever you try to connect those lows on that uptrend, you're going to get somewhere between 4,100 and 4,000 to my eye. I think if you had a meaningful break below that, you get to that, uh, you know, and I know that you think that's in the cards guy and move back to that 200-day moving average. Let's just say this expectations for second half growth and a global reflation trade got really high. It was being expressed first and foremost in the S&P 500 in the NASDAQ. But the problem is, like we just said, those rallies got really narrow. You know, those top five names, we're going to talk about them in a little bit, make up 20% of the S&P 500 and about 40 to 45% of the NASDAQ 100. If you get all of those going in the same direction lower, you're going to have a move breaking that uptrend. These are good-looking charts, by the way, provided by FactSet. We're going to skip the NDX, yeah. and we're going to go right to the Russell, because I happen to think, I think you share this view, that this might be the most important chart out of all of them. I mar- Listen, parabolic, obviously, in the fall, sideways ever since. 
speaks to a lot of things. In my opinion, it speaks to the fact that the Russell doesn't know where it wants 10-year yields to be. It doesn't want them higher, and that suggests higher growth, and these are the most economically sensitive names. Or does it want it lower, um, which should help earnings growth? I don't know. I don't think the Russell knows either. But right now, you're looking at a growth concern, and that's manifesting itself in a chart that is not validated or verified or backed up the recent all-time high in the S&P 500. Yeah, we didn't even draw you know, a red line there that would usually signify some technical resistance. You see it. It tried to do it a couple of times, make new highs from February like we just talked about. It looks more like those early May lows are in the cards. And it's just worth noting that the, the Russell 2000 is down 5% over the last week. So it's really leading the way here. Um, you know, you had those massive breakouts um, in Amazon and Apple just making a new all-time uh, high yesterday. And, and thus, you know, one of the main reasons why you have that outperformance. But again, you know, as we head into earnings season, we're going to do a little preview of bank earnings um, next week. Expectations just got really high. Valuations got high. Complacency got high. Um, and our view has been over the last few weeks, something's got to give. Well, you know what isn't high is a 10-year yield. Kudo, again, I mentioned this on Fast Money the other day. I'm not sure what a kudo is. And then obviously Melissa <laughs> looked it up and she gave me the, and she told me what it was. But You've been saying for a while now that, you know what, you're getting ahead of yourself there, Guy Adami. Ten-year yields are not going higher. As a matter of fact, they're going to one and a quarter percent. And lo and behold, and that's low LO, here we are at basically one and a quarter percent. By the way, right up against that trending higher 200-day moving average, I mentioned that, Dan, because Chris Verone was on Fast Money last night, and he said that ten-year yields are going to go down to one and a quarter. They're going to bounce off this. And he sees the 2% by the end of the year. I don't want to talk about that. I do want to talk about what it means to you, who, by the way, has been spot on. Yeah, I think that's a great um, setup here, Guy, because, listen, everybody was on one side of this boat thinking that the Fed was going to have to do something sooner than um, markets were predicting, and therefore rates were moving ahead of that, and we're going to see 2% in the 10-year Treasury yield. Well, that didn't happen, and I think it's really important for a lot of viewers uh, to know. I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years, you for about 45 years. Yeah, Usually, yeah. When, oh, sorry about that. Usually that when helps. everybody gets that one-sided, when the consensus is so large, um, it's not likely to go in that direction. But I do like Verone's thinking, and I've actually been saying something very similar. I think the worse it gets in the near term for yields, the likelihood that we kind of see a move higher, especially as the likelihood that the Fed is like uh, is going to taper at some point um, in the, you know, I'd say Q4, at least start signaling it and you're going to have rates move ahead of that. So um, to me, that makes sense. Um, you know, I think we probably test that 200 and kind of really probably want to get closer to 1% before it gets totally washed out. Before we get to our first call, I know this is a nationwide show, and I'm sure there are people tuning in from <laughs> overseas, but there's a great place on Long Beach Island called the chicken or the egg. Why do I mention it? Because I don't know if yields are lower today because the market's lower or yields are lower, forcing the market to be lower. The old chicken or the egg thing doesn't matter. Here we are. I think we bounce in terms of yields, but that's what makes markets, which brings us to our first call. Slide it, Earl, as they say. And Dan, will you speak this? I love what you did there. Swipe. Well, actually, that's the great Amanda Diaz. Swipe right for Amex. I, it's just so hot. I get it. I get it. Uh, yes, it is hot. All right. So Goldman Sachs, it seems like they've been on the sidelines for American Express. They upgraded the stock to a buy. They put a $225 price target. Their main um, competitor there, Morgan Stanley, um, named it a top idea. But they already had it at Overweight, guys. So they were already there. You know, again, going back to the fall with the vaccines, this is one of the stocks that 
absolutely ripped in early November, um, the notion that we were going to have people coming out of their homes again using their credit cards. But specifically, I think travel is the big one here. And that's a, a huge kicker for them and small businesses also um, with their uh, you know open initiative. So to me, this makes sense. Um, the stock had really been outperforming some of its peers um, over the last month or two. So it seems like it's kind of in the stock here. It's kind of getting hit a little bit. I know we have a chart. Speak to it here. I, I'm just not a buyer of stocks like this after the sorts of runs that they've had, um, but I get the narrative here. No, and you never, listen, I know people like to be late to parties at school, but in our world, you don't want to be late to the party. And Goldman Sachs is late to this party. If you look, I mean, I will tell you that American Express, back before the world sort of turned on its ear in February, was making an all-time high of about 135, and we blew through that prior all-time high in a meaningful way. Yeah. Listen, I could make a cogent argument that we're going to we're going to sort of test that that past high of 135, which lines up right right around the 200 day moving average. You do have tremendous earnings growth, 23 percent EPS growth. They report, I believe, on July 23rd before the bell. I do think Goldman's late. They're going to wind up being right at some point. I just don't think they're going to be right into this earnings call. Uh, the consumers probably balance sheets never look better. But if spending starts to ratchet down again, um, you have to wonder how much giddy up is left in the name. And when you have this global reflation trade that is seemingly tenuous right now, one has to wonder about the timing in American Express. I think Goldman will be right. I think it trades lower first, Dan Nathan. Yeah. So speaking of Goldman and Morgan, next week we're going to get lots of bank earnings. They're going to yeah, kick we off are. Q2 sure earnings. Let's look at the XLF, the ETF that tracks the bank stocks. I think those top 10 names, um, other than Berkshire Hathaway, which is the largest weighted, JP Morgan, the second largest weighted, a bunch of them are reporting next week. And, you know, what I find interesting about this is that, again, you know, a major outperformance um, after the election, after the vaccines. Um, I think the XLF is up about 24% year to date. The S&P 500 is up 15%. The NASDAQ's up um, 12%. But you look, you saw that break of that uptrend um, and then it retested it and then it failed again. So guy, that low from a couple weeks ago near 35 bucks is going to be play. really, it's in, in play. play, really important. I think a lot of the banks have already sold off a little bit. They've already told you that trading is going to be down in Q2. So we had some soft sort of, um, I don't know if you want to call them um, pre-announcements on some of their businesses that are also going to face some difficult comparisons, but I think you're going to have an opportunity. And listen, and higher rates was also a major part of this bull story. I don't know if you're looking at what's going on in the home builders guy. They're rolling over. There's lots of parts of this business um, for some of these money centers and some of the investment banks that really don't have favorable comparisons year over year. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting. You know, we have to decide what we're going to highlight in the 14 minutes that are allotted to yeah. us. Although, as you mentioned earlier, we're probably going to go overtime. Masco downgrade by JP Morgan was something we'd consider doing to your point about home builders and the subsection there. I do think this looks like it's rolling over. We'll see. But some of these banks have had significant moves. City, for example, is going from 78 to 66, seemingly in a straight line. It's been interesting to see what they have to say, which brings us to our next call, Dan. I find this fascinating. I don't know what, I'm, again, the memes, <laughs> the memes or whatever, but Virgin Galactics, Meteoric, see that? That's very clever. I see. Virgin I see Galactic goes to space, yeah. meteor, the whole thing. I totally get it. Cowan raises their <laughs> price target to 51 from 23, highest on the street. UBS also downgraded the stock to neutral from buy. UBS had it right, by the way. They raised their price target to 45 from 36. This is a tough one because we're going to look at a chart in a second. You can see the parabolic move this has had. It actually looks like one of those Virgin Galactic rocket ships. I will tell you this. One has to wonder if all the good news is priced in and what's the catalyst going to be into the fall, 
I think that's part of the UBS downgrade. I'm curious to your thoughts as we yeah. go to our chart. Yeah, well, here's the deal. Richard Branson, the founder of this company, is going up on one of their flights today. I guess the real issue here um, is that hopefully it goes off without a hitch. You know, one of the reasons why this stock was trading below 20 um, back in May is that they had some um, test flight delays. And, and this was a big catalyst to send the founder up there and prove that this is uh, um, safe. And it's something that people want to spend a quarter million dollars to do to get to zero gravity. Um, listen, I think this is a really cool company. I think it's a really cool idea. Um, I think space is going to be probably huge. You tell me what the total addressable market is. Is it trillions? You saw the, the movie with those blue people, and I'm not talking about the Smurfs, the Avatar there. If you just yeah, look I love to science, that. That well, you look to science fiction. Science fiction is always right about this sort of stuff. It's going to be a yeah. big, big thing. Maybe, um, maybe their $11 billion pre-revenue market cap is going to end up looking very cheap. But um, you know, to me, you had a... 220% rally off those May lows. Um, I think a lot of good news is in the stock. If everything goes off, and I hope it does without a hitch this weekend, and Mr. Branson and his crew come back in good shape here, um, you know, will that stock rally back towards those prior high near 60? Maybe, but then you got to wait a little bit here and see what the orders look like and the frequency of the flights, that sort of thing. So to me, um, I think probably a lot of good news is in the stock here. 37 and a half, I think it's a logical level, in my opinion. Downgraded on June 30th at Bank of America. They have a $41 price target. And I love the scene in that Avatar movie when the little kid puts the blanket over the alien to hide him in his room. That was just genius. I mean, the joke, at its best, the joke man, stinks. The just joke filmmaking stinks. at its best. All right, but guy, one thing. The jokes I, don't think. They don't I, stink. That's a funny I, ha ha. Kenny, please continue. All right, but real quickly. So, this stock, not same, only is it in one of those sorts of, uh, you know, kind of moonshot sort of spaces, it's also been considered one of those meme stocks. And I just think it's important, you know, over the last couple of days, one of the, I, I guess it's the, just the, the OG now um, meme stock out there is this AMC. Wait, guy, what's going on here? Do I hear a buzzer in my ear? What's going no, on? No, I don't know. Well, I mean, we're about to go through 11 o'clock. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, you said we're going to go OT. And as we approach, OT. Top of the hour, by the way. Hope you all. And I did mention it might be the 11th hour for the market. Well, it is the 11th hour now on the East Coast. But there please continue because what I'll tell you, you know what I found fascinating? I like to look at the Twitter because people are just really interesting to me. <laughs> and one of these accounts said, the price, the, the lower price you see on AMC is false. Nobody is selling it. I'm saying to myself, oh my God, the Mayans have officially, they, they have been so correct and the aliens are here and the world is coming to an end because these people just don't get it. Again, I know nothing about AMC. What I'll tell you is, if you go back and look, this stock had been on a decline for five years, and nothing has changed in terms of their business model. If they think that somehow um, televising the fight over the weekend with Conor McGregor at their, at their cinemas is somehow going to change the model, R-O-N-G, wrong. I mean, this stock to me is probably, well, I shouldn't say it because I'm going to get added by a say lot it. of people. Say it's it. Headed back to, it's headed back to, the, to be a teenager which a lot of people want. It ain't going to happen for them. It might happen for the stock, Dan. Well, yeah, but Guy Adami, in 2019, pre-pandemic, this company lost money. They have 60% market share of U.S. Uh, uh, theater you. stuff. I mean, listen, you know, you guys can meme it all you want, and, and I'm not hating on anybody. And if you think that this thing is going to wherever you think it's going, I mean, literally, some of these, they think it's going to like a 1,000 or something like that. It's just not financially, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense in any, you know, rational world. World. So have at it. Not my jam, but I think it's important to see that this thing is kind of um, coming apart a little bit right here. So we'll see how way, far it goes sense, back. 
that sense with the S-E-N-S-E, not sense with the C-E-N-T-S, Dan, True just that. to clarify. True that. Which brings us, and thank you again, Fact Set Art. What, Dan? Chart of the Week. Because I got to tell you something. As I've said a number <laughs> of times, it's, it's rare that somebody coins something that sticks. It's even rarer when somebody coins two things that stick. Well, the first thing you did was the MAGA complex. You threw an F in front of it because why not the F for Facebook? Can you speak to this? Because Carter Braxton Worth, talked about it on the Twitter earlier this week. Yeah, he had a really interesting call here. He's basically saying that Amazon and Apple, which have massively um, underperformed over the last nine months, the rest of the FMAGA complex, the Google, the Microsoft, and the Facebook, he's saying that these rested champions are breaking out. Amazon, that breakout early in the week was epic, above 35.50. I know you've been calling for it. I thought you, I think you thought it would be on earnings, but it happened yes. ahead of time here. And then Apple just made a new all-time high for the first time um, since September here. So, um, you know, he's saying to sell the Google, the Microsoft, the Facebook, which have all massively outperformed the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 and move that into Apple and Amazon. And that makes perfect sense to me. I think that's kind of a tricky trade for a lot of people. You know, my view is with those five stocks making up nearly 45% of the NASDAQ 100 or the QQQ, the ETF um, that tracks it, let's take a look at that. I just want to buy that on pullbacks here because that thing is a bit extended. It tested that uptrend that had been in place um, since November. That was just in May, guy, and it made a new all-time high yesterday up more than 12 or so percent from that 200 day moving average where is the pullback to your eye it's kind of easy i drew the lines so. well you drew the line for me i mean you made it easy so if this was the sat test i'd be so excited because the answer is right in front of me the support comes in the form of that trend line which is probably going to test first support being the horizontal i think we go through it rather quickly i think we do test that trend line and oh by the way you know if you've been out to sea for many days and you haven't seen land well we haven't seen the 200 day moving average in this sucker for seemingly a year and a half. At a certain point, just by dumb luck, you got to see land. And I think by dumb luck, you're going to see that 200-day moving average, which brings us to what, Dan? As they like to say, that Roger Miller song, <laughs> One for the Road. Well, give it to me. One yeah. for the Road. This is from the great Mr. Butters, by the way. Yeah, so set. Yeah, we get a nice preview. He has his earnings insight that comes out every Friday morning. He gives us a little sneak peek on Thursdays. We get to highlight it on our one for the road here. And I think this one's really interesting. He's talking about S&P 500 earnings growth, and he's talking about what the normal increases have been over the course of the quarter um, for earnings as they start to come out, because analysts kind of, when they're wrong, they start to kind of like extrapolate and, and kind of, um, you know, kind of bump their numbers a little bit. And that just speaks to the fact that, um, you know, we have rising expectations here you can see these bullets and i'll just mention this and we've talked about it a little bit i mean obviously what happened in 2020 was pretty abnormal a bit of a black swan um the sort of forced recession we're in and the bounce back is is the same so you know hearing some of these eye-popping q2 could be up 69 percent and 81 percent you know respectively yada 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 you know basically we got to start thinking about what normalized earnings growth looks like what normalized margins looks like for s p 500 earnings no one's trading off of these numbers and just be careful not to get too geeked up about seeing some some eye-popping um, numbers um, because really when, you know, the margin for error, when you think about that guy, when, when we start thinking about, oh, well, we're going to be up 80% year over year, um, it, can, it can be kind of slim here. And investors will tend to shoot first and ask questions later. For you lawyers out there, in summation and the great, as Roger Miller said, you know, trailers for sale or rent. Let's summarize this sucker, Dan. Uh, BlackRock, good for them, man. Prescient, as I said earlier, with a C in it. Swipe right for Amex, although today you have the little chip, so you don't swipe anymore. You insert. Virgin Galactic's Meteoric Rise might be coming to a close. 
as there are no catalysts in the fall. Chart of the week, your F MAGA. And one for the road. Thank you, Mr. Butters. Growth spurt. There should be a question mark after that, but I, that's me just talking. Uh, say what you got to say before I give kudos to our sponsors, Dan. Yeah, I think that this will be really interesting to see how far the S&P and the NASDAQ can correct. I think the largest peak to trough decline that we've had in 2021 has been about 5.5% or so. Um, we know that the Russell is already down um, that much from its highs. It'd be very interesting to see the S&P 500, how it acts at that uptrend. Because, listen, we know that there's a lot of people want to buy the dip, but they might be a bit more concerned about buying it here at 1.3 in the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. The last time the U.S. Treasury yield was at 1.3 back in February, the S&P 500 was below 4,000, guys. It was yeah, like 39.50. So, you know, careful what you wish for on the rate side, I guess. So today's 14 minutes of at 1046, which went 21 minutes, but that's okay. We had a lot to talk about. Has been brought <laughs> to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, and of course... Open Exchange. They do manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan Nathan, thank you. Thank you, FactSet, for those great charts. Thank you, Mr. Butters. Thank you, Amanda Diaz. Thank you for the geniuses at Open Exchange, uh, Stu, Brendan, and Mike. We'll catch you next week, next Thursday. What time, Dan? 1046, pal. Yeah, man. See you later. See you later.